Hi, this is Martin Stig Andersen, and you're listening to the Sound Architect podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Sound Architect podcast. I am your host, Sam Hughes, and as you just heard, I am joined by the wonderful Martin Stig Andersen. Thanks for joining us today, Martin. How are you? Yeah, thanks a lot for, for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Really looking forward to talking to you about your work. Sure, me too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so before we discuss your recent work, tell us how you first began your journey into composition and sound design. Yeah, it's kind of a, a long story. I don't know how far you want to go back. There's all this kind of, you know, when you were a kid all of it, playing. All uh, of it. It's all fascinating. <laughs> you're going to have like a, a series of, uh, of podcasts. And Part one of seven. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can't take you through um, all that. I guess that that'll, that'll be um, that'll be too too long. But I guess uh, I could talk a little about my um, musical uh, education um, because yeah, as you can assume, as I was I was playing piano through my entire childhood and also playing with uh, technology like reel-to-reel recorders and stuff like that. Awesome. Uh, and I was always. Uh, quite frust- frustrated with uh, with the piano and the limitation and in interacting with the with the sound. Yeah. Uh, um, so I had this kind of impulse almost to, you know, kind of destroy you know the the piano. Uh, but, but what I did was like recording it and messing it up in, in different ways. Uh, and then through my um, use, I was playing like in rock bands and and and, and, and stuff like that. And then, uh, yeah, at, at, at one point I was I was playing music all the time, not professionally. Uh, I had this idea that I would um, do it in my spare time, and then I would do like regular work. Um, but um, yeah, I had a, a small studio in a in a in a basement in uh, in the city where I lived in, in Denmark, and. Um, at some point, I decided just to move there because I was when I wasn't working, I was just playing music all the time. So I, I said, so it was in a basement that I, I just set up a, a bed underneath the the mixing console. <laughs> so I was, I was just uh, I was just uh, living there basically, uh, and I was listening to a lot of. Uh, unlike today, I, I was listening to a, a lot of music, um, mostly on back in the day on uh, vinyl records, and then um, oh nice, um, and I was listening to you know kind of. Pink Floyd, Grateful Dead, uh, Led Zeppelin, that, that, yeah. that kind of that kind of stuff. But then I, I uh, it's a you know sorry it's a stupid story, but I, I went to the record shop and then I saw this uh, record by uh, uh, Ravel, like Daphne Eclou. Oh, okay. Um, and it had a very nice cover, so I bought it just because of the cover. Uh, and then I went, <laughs> went home and and listened to that uh, music. It's just like amazing orchestral textures there's this kind of you know timpani and bass and then this kind of upward going uh, fifths with a harp and strings and it was just like uh, amazing to me uh, this whole idea of the uh, orchestra and i didn't know anything about the uh, the orchestra so I don't know. Somehow, I decided to uh, to do some research on my own. <laughs> so I bought this so I bought this uh, book, orchestration by Walter Piston, or Piston, uh, and I just started to. Even though I, you know, I couldn't even like really read notes or anything, but I just started to study it. 
and I actually have my notes from back then, and I, I can just see that I, you know, didn't really understand, you know, what I was oh, no way. reading awesome. about. You know, I didn't have any, didn't have any background, any, uh, you know, means to really understand what it was, uh, what it was about. But that was kind of, you know, the way I got into the, um, you know, like working with um, more like modern uh, instrumental composition. Um, also, at some point, I, I got uh, obsessed with the Amadeus uh, oh, yeah, movie. Nice. Uh, I don't know. It hadn't really anything to do with my background, but somehow, you know, this kind of, uh, also this kind of almost like magic thing, you know, about being able to hear the score in your head and all those, I just found it really fascinating. And I never really succeeded in finding any kind of work that I liked. Um, so at some point I was just thinking, okay, um, you know, I don't know what to do with my life really, but um, let's, let's see if I take like two years, uh, can I then, you know, make start, you know, to make a career for myself. And I was like, 21 years old, so I was quite old actually. At, at that point, I was kind of a, a lost kid, you know, didn't know what to do really. Um, and then I started to study on my own, and I had some private teachers uh, and getting prepared to study composition at, at conservatory, which, you know, was very different from what I had imagined because it, actually I didn't know any like contemporary. Uh, classical music, you know, so that, that was kind of a, a culture shock for me. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. But eventually, I, I started on, on a conservatory uh, and and worked mostly with uh, instrumental composition. But as soon as I started there, I actually started to get more interested in what you call um, electroacoustic composition, where you're yeah. using the the computer. It's, it's not it's not, a, it's not about making music that sounds like live music. It's about you know taking whatever sound and messing it up and, and making compositions uh, from that. So yeah, I was. Already then I was uh, occupied by something else, you know, when I finally <laughs> started at, at, at conservatory. Um, and then I, I got the chance to, to study electroacoustic composition at City University in London. Uh, and um, so that was my like fourth year. Like after three years in conservatory, I moved to London and then I studied there for several years, uh, actually. And um yeah, it's just like a big revelation for me to, to start there. Was, you know, all these kind of thoughts and frustrations I had, like in my <laughs> childhood, you know, suddenly I saw that there were people who have, you know, thought about this for decades, you know, yeah. <laughs> back to PSU Fair and, you know, and totally different conception of, of sound. So that was like a, 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 a big, big revelation uh, for me. And then, yeah, the funny thing is that when I started at, at City University doing electro composition, then I got um, interested in working with uh, audiovisuals. So I, yeah. I was already kind of, you know, working in another direction again uh, then. Like to keep yourself busy then. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, I think what I found interesting because I was also very curious about sound design, like also like in, you know, like big blockbuster films and I think um, the reason why is that electroacoustic composition, you know, you use kind of the same tools, like my studio today doesn't really look like a, 
no studio for a composer. It looks more like a post-production studio because I have no like uh, samplers or keyboards or anything. Yeah. It's all about like processing processing sound. Uh, so that way, I got um, interested in, in you know trying to to work with uh, also like sound design elements to um, to picture and. Um, and that was that was really yeah interesting to to do both at the same time actually not to consider it as you know music at, at one extreme and sound design at another but more like a like a continuum mm. uh, between the two uh, and at that point uh, I not I not only like worked with film but also other medias like theater and uh, installations and it's always all kind of uh, different different things yeah and then yeah my first game was uh, limbo so that i started on that one in 2009 man that's crazy that's nearly 10 years ago now. Uh, so yeah that's that's kind of uh, a, a, a bit of my story uh, leading up to that yeah well that's, that's really fascinating history and, I, and it's quite good that you've mentioned about the blurring between music and sound design because especially with limbo and uh inside as well i think it's fair to say that you're known for quite unique soundtracks that, that do blur the lines between sound design and composition and do really utilize both mm. throughout right yeah so would you say that you're more in tune with one than the other or would you say it's always going to be this continuum to you that you're just a blend of both um i think the thing is that i consider most sound and i think that's related to my musical background i, I do tend to think it as music basically yeah so even though like in limbo people you know often claim that there's no music there for me you know it's it's all music i i know it's you know it's always a matter of of definition you know yeah and everyone have like different definitions of, of music but if you see like in the realm of uh, electroacoustic composition you have like uh, anecdotic uh, music you know which you know it's it's a sound collage you know like yeah, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's a famous piece by Luc Ferry um, which is just like uh, a day on the beach I think it's called <laughs> so it's just like recorded from morning to evening and then it's cut down to I don't know, 15 minutes or half an hour, I can't remember. It's just like compressed in time. Uh, and that's a piece of music, if you see what I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it kind of depends on how you you define it. Uh, like Edgar Varese defined it as organized sound. So <laughs> it's another way of, <laughs> of seeing it. So, um, yeah, so I guess like basically my conception of sound uh, it's very much, you know, on, on the musical side. So even if I work with like footsteps or whatever, it's, it's always about more than the footsteps themselves. It's about, you know, how I treat them and, you know, how loud are they at, at every given uh, moment. Um, and they also have like a like a rhythm in them. Yeah, so it's it's kind of, I, I just tend to, to look at all sound from a musical perspective, I think. So in, so in that way, there isn't really a, a kind of a, a hard divide between the two. Yeah, and I was going to say, as you just said, it has the components in sound design that you would have in music, rhythm, pitch, attenuation, mm. you know, volume and things. Um, and especially, I mean, obviously they do it more with things like trailers, but even throughout games or throughout movies, they do have a beat that they 
they match to with the sound design mm-hmm. and they're still trying to almost have this musical flow. Yeah, I think one good example is from Limbo when you approach the spider, you know, you have this kind of wind sound. Mm. And then uh, as you approach, like gradually as you approach the spider, the, the wind sound kind of freezes so it becomes like a continuous sound. Like, and it's, which, you know, in a in a film score, that would be the suspense violence, if you yeah. see what I mean. So it's you know it's the same function in a way. It's just the the materials that are that are different. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and I think that's really interesting, in especially in relation to to games, uh, because it allows you to um, to tie the the music to the environment. Hmm. So actually, you you're giving it a, a reason to for for being there. Uh, whereas, like pure, like non-diegetic music, it will always run the risk of being something you know that plays in the background. And if you get stuck, you know you get very aware of it being there. And, uh, yeah, it starts looping. Yeah. So um, in in, the, in that way, you can kind of you always have a kind of an excuse for the for the music to be there. Yeah. Like if it's part of the environment. Well, I was thinking about this the other day and, uh, you know, I think you could agree or disagree, but I think games add some sort of mid-level to the diegesis, right? Like with films, you have non-diegetic and diegetic. And I know that's the case with games, but I think you can blur the line between the two a lot more in in games, would you say? Um, not necessarily, I think. I think it's it's possible in, in, uh, in film as well. I'll just say that it's a bit, I won't say easier, but uh, like film is uh, obviously linear so you know yeah uh, you always it's almost like a cliche now you know that if all the levels go down you know that it's that's about to come uh, like a cat sting or something like that yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> but it but but it works you know it works really well you know like if you want like a big moment then you can you can always like attenuate stuff stuff before but that's kind of impossible uh, in games because you never know yeah. when things are going to happen or what what the player does um, so i'd say i think it's you know equal between uh, films and games you can do it you know as much in in, uh, in films as in games i just think it's maybe maybe it's more relevant in uh, in games uh, it, it kind of solves a, a lot of problems at least for me and what would you say your approach to sound design is i think generally it's about saying something more um you know i'm not really interested in just filling in the blanks you know there's a door closing you know yeah it's kind of boring you know it's kind of one-to-one relation uh, i've got some objects need that um but i always like to you know, find another angle. Is it possible to say something more hmm. with the sound? Uh, also, just how loud it should be, or should it be missing? What would it mean if it, if it wasn't there, like the the sound of the of the door closing? And then again, also taking a more holistic uh, approach. So I would never really, you know, just just design, you know, the a sound effect without thinking about uh, its context. Yeah. Is what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it's 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 really important. I think I think maybe in games sometimes it's a, it's a bit um, uh, overlooked in the sense like it sometimes sounds like all sound effects are created isolated. 
if you see what I mean. Yeah. Uh, that they're all like created to or made to sound uh, awesome and, and big, and even though some of them are going to be turned down and, and stuff like that. So often when I do uh, like sound effects, you know, I just allow them to be dull or whatever if they're anyways going to be soft, you know. So you get this. Um, a clearer relation between you know what's important and, and less important and what's loud and what what's soft um, no yeah i agree i think it's uh, a lot of the time though it can be due to time constraints or budget sometimes people just make a list of sounds right to then throw mm. over the wall yeah so i mean it depends how hands-on with the project i mean with limbo and inside it was just you wasn't it just working on the project for a set amount of time. Yeah, and Limbo was, and, and inside I had a couple of people um, helping me me there. Um, but yeah, it's that, that's that's a big difference, of course. You know, being able to um, like Limbo and inside, I would never like create some sounds like globally. I would always like look at a specific scene, a set, or whatever, and see you know what does it need. You know, maybe there's stuff that doesn't need sound at all. Maybe there's some I have some musical idea, and then it would be interesting to, you know, to pitch the different elements to fit in that musical context uh, or, or whatever. So, so yeah, that's true. You have to uh, to really um, yeah, be in in the project that, that you're working on and have have your hands on everything to to make that yeah. <laughs> approach possible, which uh, I believe isn't the the case in, in most. Uh, productions yeah it can it can be that way and and what about music composition do you have a similar approach or yeah it's kind of uh expands from from that really so at the moment i'm i'm very focused on the composition with the the projects that i'm doing and it's also kind of my my main thing and it's it's my background and, and all of uh, but i still very much enjoy to somewhat to somehow, as I said before, tie the music into the environment. It doesn't have to be literally. It can also be, you know, with some kind of you know, vague associations, uh, interpretations. Uh, there's some certain elements in the in the set, and maybe I can kind of reflect that in in the music. Uh, so I'm always trying to. Um, not necessarily to make it uh, diegetic, but to somehow make it um, sit well into the into the world uh, that it that it represents. It's a very good way of putting it. Yeah. And would you say? I mean, we've discussed your approach. Would you say you have a philosophy with regards to sound design and composition, or does your approach pretty much encompass that? Um, I don't think I have a philosophy. It's very like with with my background. I think. It's all about um, a more like empirical approach. I think that's that's also going a bit back again to my education, my uh, move from like working with with the score to uh, electroacoustic composition. It was very very much about the uh, the ability to work empirically. Mm. You see, like when you're working with with the score, there's some kind of abstract layer between your composition or your ideas and then the final result right you know, and that's that's kind of pros of cons with that i i totally understand the both things of course the the the, the pros is that um 
you get to do like big mis- mistakes. Uh, you imagine the music and it sounds like 75% of what you imagine. And then you get something like a surprise, you know, when it's, uh, when it's, when it's played, it's, it's kind of a part of uh, doing something uh, experimental. Um, the cons, of course, is um, that you have to wait, you know, from you com- from you compose uh, the score to hear the the final re- result. So it's, it's kind of a slow turnaround time um, for, for for that. So with uh, electric acoustic uh, composition, on the other hand. Um, I also want to mention the the concept of music concrete. There's a lot of people who think it's about like composing re- with the real world sound, but it's not really. You know, Pierre Fair he could also compose with electronic sound. You know, it didn't really matter. Yeah. The the point was that um, he would sit with his um, tape recorder and cut the tape together, and he would make his uh, uh, decisions based on what he uh, heard, like in very instant you know yeah cutting say putting it together hearing the result uh, making a decision so it's a uh, it's a very like quick uh, iteration process compared to working with the score yeah I bet, yeah so that's that's always been kind of uh, a big part of my approach has been uh, this kind of uh, iterative you know like instantly judging what i do and making decisions uh, based based on that so just sort of like an impulse decision of like yes no yeah yes, yeah needs more of that yeah exactly and then it's more like an intuitive process and then when you're done you can always kind of analyze what you have done and uh, and yeah maybe you can feel some kind of philosophy from that but when i'm doing the work it's uh, it's very like in, intuitive so do you have any go-to tools and techniques that you start with or that you use in general? I think actually most of the, the tools that I use are you know, ways to manipulate um, recordings. Mm. Um, so I start out with whatever recordings. It can be stuff that I've recorded myself. I uh, also have some um, collaborators that, uh, that specializes in recording and recording uh, records um, stuff uh, for me. And it can be, you know, things that I take from whatever, really, because in the end you won't, <laughs> won't really be able to hear what it is, you know. Yeah. It could be, uh, I like the blue color of your shirt, so I'll just, you know, just take the color, you know. But, <laughs> you know, you'll never know that it was your shirt, if you see what I mean. So it's just yeah, like yeah. taking uh, small bits and colors and nuances. Um, so it's a lot about taking, like, multiple sounds, and then doing some some kind of filtering, some kind of cross synthesis, vocoding, convolution. I use a lot of convolution, not like a as a reverb, but where I take one sound and then I convolve it with another with another. So it's like uh, one sound gets shaped by another. That's that's kind of my my main uh, process. I often do something to destroy the sound and then restore them again. Oh, cool. Uh, just, just as a way to get the sound somewhere else, you know, where, yeah. where something, where something uh, uh, new happens. And then I don't really, uh, I don't really like synthetic sound, uh, I think, you know. Uh, for me, it's, um, I, I tend to prefer stuff like, 
you know, organic sounds. Uh, yeah. But but when I worked with this kind of quite hardcore digital processing, <laughs> they they get this kind of digital artifacts. Yeah. Uh, that I that I that I really uh, I just dislike it basically. So I spend a lot of time. And again, Limbo is a good example of that because there's a lot of processing going on there, but you don't really hear it because I, I spend a lot of time like making it sound like it, like it could uh, have like existed yeah. uh, in a natural way, you know, like recording it on tape or processing it through different types of uh, hardware. I use a lot of uh, distortion, like valve uh, distortion. Uh, so there's a lot of... Um, outboard uh, analog uh, processing uh, going on just to bring it back to life yeah exactly almost like it's something you know that could be had been recorded like on tape back in the day you know? yeah uh, yeah so you you i'm trying to give it like a, a potential existence like yeah. it could be a sound that could exist in real life although it, that is uh, totally uh, you know Kind of abstract from from uh, from the beginning. Yeah, just to prevent it from having that clinically digital sound. You know, it stops it from having that. Yeah, definitely. And also, it's I think the idea of like destroying the sounds and doing all kind of weird stuff uh, with it. Uh, it's, it's 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 a way of of just getting inspiration. I'm often thinking about you know working with like real tape recorders and, and stuff like that, you know, in the end, people, they won't, I'm not sure people will actually be able to hear the difference. Yeah. But I'm not sure that that's the important thing. You know, the important thing for me when I'm sitting and working and, you know, taking steps all the time and making decisions and judging what I'm do, what I'm doing, it's just important for me to have something that inspires me, you know. So... If I end up with a sound that doesn't really do it for me, I'll just leave it. Yeah. Uh, but if it, you know, just have some kind of texture, uh, subtle thing that kind of kicks my inspiration, then I go with it. Well, this is sort of that music concrete idea you were mentioning, right? Where you you just experiment, you judge it, and then you move on if you don't like it. Yeah, definitely. But uh, but also I was just. Uh, uh, trying to to make the the point that maybe it doesn't doesn't really matter if the listener can hear you know what kind of tools or what kind of hardware or whatever I'm using it's 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 more a way that that uh, that kind of guides me through the through the process yeah and you don't really want the listener to notice it do you at all no 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 definitely not it's just I don't know for me it's just like a, even though there's People are claiming that these kind of software emulations are, are pretty close. It's just like two different worlds for me. I, I can't really yeah. describe it. It's just, it's not an intellectual thing. It's just like, it's more like, you know, the, the way my body reacts to it almost, you know, like to some wonderful plate reverb. Mm. I was working in my studio with a, a spring reverb and, you know, I often sit and run sound through it like five times times and it sounds different all the time you know because yeah. it just it has, has its own life you know basically well that's it it's more natural yeah but also it, it uh, you know it brings something on the table you know it's just it's not just something uh, totally predictable um, you know it's coming up with with uh, random stuff uh, and, and and also like when i'm working in my studio i started you know 
I actually like that there's no recall function. You know, this, yeah. you know, it's just like fiddling around recording stuff, and then you know something beautiful happens. And, you know, that's you know that's just uh, that's just great. Whereas earlier I, I was sending to you know when I discovered something interesting, I always had this idea that I should be able to control it, uh, improve it, uh, whatever, and, and I always destroyed it. And I think that it was because I didn't really, uh, also today, I don't really know what's going on, you know. Mm. Uh, so the beauty can be in something that you don't really know what, what is, you know. So so rather than trying to control and improve, you know, you just, you know, go with, with what's there. Yeah. That's actually a, a, a quote from... Uh, from Madonna that inspired inspired me at one at one point. Oh really? I didn't realize, but uh, I think most of her recordings are like one take. Oh right. Uh, and and she had this uh, motto like "Don't gild the lily." I think that's just perfect. You know, uh, you can't really uh, improve a, a lily. You know, it's it's kind of perfect in in its uh, natural form. Yeah. Um, you can't improve like nature, and sometimes in the studio. Random things happen, you know, that you, you know, that are just beautiful, uh, and you should just leave it there. Yeah, just appreciate it for what it is, and don't try to change it. Mm. That's a really interesting take, actually. I like that, and it's quite amusing. It's a quote from Madonna as well. Yeah. Um, so, how do you like to layer and edit your sounds and music? What kind of process do you have there? Uh, I think my approach is, um, I'm having some. Um, challenges was my approach actually and I'm, I'm always trying to solve it um, because it's it's very much like a collage yeah. so currently i'm working in pro tools and actually everything is just like wave files that i drag into the sequencer yeah <laughs> so it's a really cumbersome way to do it because i just generate a lot of material and then i drag something in and see how it sounds to together and that's a very like experimental process, but it's also very cumbersome in a way. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I just, you know, wish that I had some kind of instrument where I could, you know, interact more. Or, you know, <laughs> just. Uh, but then, uh, anyway, so far that's that's really been my approach. You know, just to drag in stuff and put it together. And I guess um, the benefit is that. Uh, then you can always like nudge things like five milliseconds forward or backward, or do all kind of uh, automation. But um, yeah, basically, it's I guess my projects, even though it's uh, composition these days, it looks like a, like a you know like audio post production thing in Pro Tools, basically, you know, just with a lot of WAV files in it. Of samples. So, speaking of composition, then you recently worked on Wolfenstein Two: The New Colossus. How did you first get involved with the project? Um, I was invited to join the project by the, the creative director Gins Metzis and audio director Nick Rayner. Okay, cool. So that, that was how it started. Awesome. And what was the main difference when working on on this one as opposed to your previous work? Uh, obviously, they're kind of you know, east-west, two very different uh, types of games, you know. So, and uh, I think that was kind of nice for me because um, I wanted to do uh, something different 
and uh, this was indeed uh, very very different mm. um, I guess uh, from my own perspective, you know, they're also very different in terms of uh, what I was doing. Um, because at Playdate, I was uh, I had the responsibility for uh, the whole audio, you know, of, of mm. the game. So a working day would often be, you know, like uh, technical stuff, like fixing yeah. things that you did last week, uh, something like that, you know. So, and I, I found that really interesting as well. But it's just like such a big part of of the job that I felt in in the end that. Um, like composition that would be like five ten percent of my day so and uh, Wolfenstein that was suddenly it was like 95 percent and just like you know working full-time with experimenting with sound and uh, yeah uh, so yeah that was that was really uh, was really interesting for me and then yeah of course the, the style of the game whereas um, Limbo and Inside was kind of silent games Wolfenstein is obviously the opposite. You know? It's yeah. a lot of a lot of noise uh, all the time. So two very different, very different things. Yeah, it's a very extreme difference to Limbo and Inside in terms of the aesthetic. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting with uh, Wolfenstein because of what I try to do, I think, often in, in games, it's almost like you know stuff are competing against each other. You know, like yeah. one like a you know, a score that's, you know, it's crisp and there's all kind of stuff happening all the time. I was actually trying to to rather to listen to, you know, the gunfighting and all the explosion and then create something that, you know, just sounded cool, like uh, below uh, that kind of sound. So, um, yeah. so a kind of music that actually sounded cooler when you have... Uh, action uh, on top um, so I think that was one of my main approaches and then also like uh, I was uh, asked um, to work uh, mainly for representing the, the Nazis you know it's kind <laughs> of I think the brief I got that the brief was very brief it was just like marshes of the machines um, so I also tried to you know, see if I could come up with something different. So one of my approaches was just to see, you know, how slow music could I create, you know, that would be oppressive, you know. Yeah. And I think that actually worked very well, like just making something extremely slow. It's just like a relentless uh, enemy, totally indifferent of you, you know, it's just like a, <laughs> a big machine, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was really fun to... To, to work with that awesome and yeah you say you were designated that particular focus so i wanted to kind of ask because obviously you were you were collaborating with uh, mick gordon known for his doom and killer instinct soundtracks how did that collaboration process work and how were you delegated tracks um yeah, so basically we um yeah he's um, based in australia far from here uh, yeah. unfortunately unfortunately uh, also with time zones and, and everything but um, we um, we met up in uh, Uppsala at machine games and we spent a week an entire week together there with uh, the audio director uh, nick Raynor. yeah uh, like going through the game and discussing different approaches and then uh, we kind of s- split uh, the work between us uh, and then during the process, we were just like, 
you know listening to each other's stuff and uh, getting inspired from from each other but uh, we didn't have like a collaboration on on, on the tracks uh, so it was more like you know discussions and uh, catch catching up on, on different approaches and did you keep in touch throughout the process? Did you say, oh, I'm heading in this direction? What are you doing? And I mean, because obviously they've both got to fit in the game, but I guess they were also opposing forces at the same time. Yeah, sure. I think it was mostly actually, you know, just notifying when stuff were uploaded or Nick Rayner would uh, say, ah, listen to this, that's cool, and, <laughs> and, and things like that. And, uh, and then we had the chance to meet up at the... Uh, GDC last year as well. Oh, cool! Uh, Meg and I, so we spent some time there as well together. So, oh, uh, awesome! But um, yes, yeah, true. It's uh, we have like um, no, I, I won't say like entirely. You, you know, our music is uh, very different, and then it has some kind of similarities as well. There's, it's not a lot of uh, our music that have like traditional melodies and, and stuff like that. I think it's more about you know texture and and in this case like. No pure energy, you know. Um, but <clears throat> I think it, it worked really well in the, in the sense that his music was uh, mainly like supporting the resistance uh, fighters, where my music was to uh, kind of represent the the Nazis. So sometimes you would, you know, fight your way through an environment, for example, the Ausmesser, uh, this kind of flying fortress uh, and the, the kind of um, oppressive music would, would play and then you solve something and you fight your way back and uh, the more resistance stuff will play. And it's just, you know, for me, playing the game is just give like a real uh, interesting uh, contrast, you know. Yeah. Uh, even though that the setting is uh, is the same, it's just like two very different uh, feels. That's it. So um, I think that that way um, our work complemented uh, each other very well. Yeah, it sounds like it was the perfect way to get those two to sit together. You know, you were representing different teams in a way. Mm, yeah. So did you? I know with Inside, you were most notably um, mentioned because you used an interesting recording technique, especially using the human skull, which obviously was mentioned quite a lot. Did you do anything uh, similarly unique with this soundtrack? Yeah, I guess actually it's also related to my, uh, or at least you were asking about my philosophy and <laughs> com com composition. I like every time start on a project I like to find a certain way of sound pressing that is unique to to that project mm. um, so for Wolfenstein I was naturally looking into because the, the game takes place in the 60s so I was, I was looking a bit for you know something that could have that kind of color uh, not, not in terms of musical style but in terms of like sound quality or whatever yeah so one thing was the Spring re reverb, I, I mentioned before, um, but also acquired like a very old like uh, record player, which plays um, very slow. I can't remember what it is, like 16 and a half round per minute. So that's really slow. Yeah. <clears throat> so it took some of my, um, some of the material that I had uh, developed and then I um, printed it on vinyl, like on, uh, in uh, 45 
rounds per minute, and then I was just uh, re-recording the sounds through this uh, old record player, and it just sounds uh, <laughs> horrible, really. But then when I worked with the sound, and um, I got some really, really nice and gritty uh, textures from it. Yeah, uh, yeah. So like metal sound would suddenly sound like uh, air raids or something mm. like that, you know, like like massive air raids. Uh, uh, so that, that was really... Uh, a lot of good stuff coming from that. Oh, that's very cool. So what would you say were the biggest challenges on the project for you? So for me, basically, personally, obviously, moving from like 2D games to 3D games is uh, like a big challenge. Like in 2D games, you can really design everything like moment to moment because yeah, basically you move left to right. So there's not much of a um, uh, variation there. Yeah, it's almost scene to scene, I guess. Yeah, that's in a 3D game. And also, like, with Wolfenstein, there's always all kinds of enemies and uh, the gameplay is quite complex, actually. So really to create some uh, dynamic music that would represent, you know, the setting and uh, the types of enemies around, the tension. And mm. I think that was, that was really... Um, that was really a challenge for me, a lot of stuff to learn there, basically. Yeah, I can imagine. And on the flip side then, what would you say was your proudest moment or do you have a favourite track? Um, I was really happy with the stuff that I developed from Frau Engel, who's kind of the main antagonist in, in, in the game. Cool. Um, so I was trying to portray uh, this kind of brutalism and sadism, uh, also giving her some kind of uh, empathy towards her victims, you know, because often if you go like uh, uh, horror, 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 bad, 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 you know, in the end you you don't really feel anything. Yeah, you get desensitized, don't you? Yeah, so you need this kind of, you know, Fetic uh, quality, uh, so that that was really nice to work with that contrast. Uh, and then also, she had this uh, Ausmaß, uh, this like flying fortress. So I was working a lot with making the sound, you know, sound both like some kind of musical stuff, but also like like big engines and air raids and uh, yeah. just like a like a massive machine basically. And then also uh, the Venus uh, setting. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, uh, yeah, my main uh, collaborator, uh, Nicolas Becker, he's a, 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 a French guy. He worked on Arrival, um, Gravity, all kind of oh, wow. great yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, film. He just do like amazing recordings. So he um, invited me down to... A workshop where they have something called like Basque uh, sonic structures, oh, cool. so like big metal sheets, and um, that you play with uh, crystal sticks. It's really hard to describe them. You have to. No, that sounds really interesting. You have, you have to to see them, and that just sounds like uh, you know like massive brass uh, instruments, and you can do all kind of weird textures with them. So I went down there for a day and uh, recorded with him and uh, went home and spent some, some weeks recording uh, or composing for, for the Venus setting. So, yeah, that was really uh, interesting. 
Awesome. Yeah, that sounds really fascinating. Was he the same um, guy who worked on Gravity? That I, I think I went to a talk by him, and he was talking about using DPA mics to record. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, from yeah. drilling and all sorts, just from yeah. the perceptive. Yeah, where yeah. Like, through the seat. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I'm continuing to work with him because yeah, it's just like, you know, I'm I'm having a hard time going out recording. I don't know why. It's just <laughs> it's not it's not my you know when I'm. When I'm finally out, you know, I kind of enjoy it, but I really have to kick myself hard in the ass, you know, to get out <laughs> and, and record. Whereas for him, you know, that's that's what he do, and you can definitely hear it when you get yeah. his recording. You know, it's just like full of textures and uh, yeah, stuff. And and also, I really like to work with uh, alternative sound sources. So even with Wolfenstein, I had like uh, the orchestra as a kind of a, a mental reference for the, like the spectral makeup of the, of the sounds. Mm. Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting to imitate those kind of textures, with, uh, but just with like metal sound, metal being mangled and, and stuff like that. So it really had some, some great uh, sounds for that. Well, yeah, I mean, metal is one of those materials that just gives you so many options in, mm, in ways yeah. you can make it change the sound or color the sound, and there's a lot of potential there. Mm. So we've talked about Wolfenstein. That's awesome. But can you tell us what you're working on at the moment or what's coming up? Is there anything you can talk about project-wise? Uh, not, like, specifically. Um... <laughs> Classic NDAs. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know actually, but uh, I, I can say what I'm, I'm doing. I'm, I'm working on a, on a really awesome two-play game right now with a cool female protagonist, uh, and I'm doing uh, something that call uh, ambient music design. It's kind of oh, okay. inspired by uh, Mel Wesson, who I think he's done a lot of stuff. Uh, Hans Zimmer, you know, but where it's, it's not really music or sound design, it's this kind of in-between. Hmm. So there's sound designers and there's composer on the project, but I have this kind of little niche, you know, where I can I can do my, my thing. Um, it's, a, it's a relatively short assignment, and I don't want to take any credit from uh, the guys uh, working on it, but it's just, uh, it's just so much fun to do because it's, you know, that's yeah, it's it's my that's my main competence in a way. So yeah. it's really nice to work to work with something. And then I have um, two uh, other games uh, coming up where I'll be working as a composer again. So I'm really happy about that because that's you know the kind of path that I was uh, chasing. You know, to work more with the composition. Yeah, and um, it's, I'm definitely thrilled about that. Fantastic. It sounds very, very exciting. Now, before I ask my final question, I do have a question just before that. Of, do you have any key advice that you would give to any of our listeners who, who may want to work in sound or music for games? Um, I think my main advice is not listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to my advice. Ignore the last hour. That's fine. Yeah. Just... <laughs> no, I was meaning more like... Don't listen to my advice on what to do because uh, I don't know. At least it's kind of different from most other advices that I hear when I attend uh, conferences, which is more like you know, be versatile, be able to to do a bit of this and to do a bit of that. You know, this you have to be confident in all musical styles and stuff like that. I think for me, it's just because that's been my path. You know, just. Um, 
develop your own voice. Uh, that's that's kind of my uh, advice, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do what what you're passionate about because that's that's where you're gonna excel, eventually. Uh, whereas if you want to do a you know a bit of, of everything, it's it, you know you can't really be uh, the expert of everything. Uh, well, it's impossible. But like right? if I go, if I yeah if I go to a, a restaurant, I prefer to go. A place where they excel in a specific kind of food, you know, rather than getting a menu card where you can get all kind of different food. Yeah, you know, yeah. But in a mediocre way, mediocre way. So, um, yeah, I think definitely, and also, um, I also want to hear uh, different things, you know, uh, for me as a person. Uh, uh, so you know, just encourage everyone to to do their own stuff and weird stuff and uh, uh, do something that in, inspire rather than uh, being something that's that's already there. Yeah, I think it's really great advice to end on as well. But before we go, I do have a. F- I'm not sure that's a great advice. <laughs> in summary, possibly good or bad advice is maybe don't listen to advice. But no. <laughs> <laughs> So a fun question to finish off with you uh, before I let you go. Here, you know, if you could hang out with anyone alive or dead, who would it be? Yeah, I'm definitely uh, close by the kind of time travel option. In of this course. So yep. uh, and also, um, when I listen to music, often I listen to you know, classical stuff. I don't know. It's just, and it also goes for... All kind of props that you see nowadays, you know. I'm, I'm I'm just fascinated by details and ornaments, you know, like yeah. things cut in wood where I could see that it would take like ages to do, uh, you know, in a way. So, um, and I have that feeling with with a lot of uh, like classical music that you know, there's just like so much going on and so much. Uh, variation and uh, whereas a lot of the stuff I hear today is, you know, there's a lot of it, but it's, it's not necessarily uh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but but to return to your question, I think maybe a guy like Bach. I think, yeah. yeah, Bach would be a cool. That would be my choice, you know, because I'm just amazed, you know, both with the quantity of work, but also that it's you know that it's so beautiful. You know, it's yeah. kind of amazed me. At, I don't know. Yeah, I'm just amazed by, by that. I mean, I mean, I'd agree how amazed I am because I listen to a lot of the stuff now, all the contemporary stuff and all the modern, you know, game composers and classical composers. And it's amazing, but I think the the added level for me is thinking about how they had to do it back then and how much work it was and how much they just had in their heads. It's just amazing. Yeah, and also the whole perspective of you know, like being an artist and you know about personality. I think for him, he was just like God's instrument. Yeah. Uh, he was not trying to express himself or anything. It was just like, yeah. I just wonder, you know, how how he would, you know, be as a, as a person. So yeah, I would yeah, like be fascinating, to, yeah. to figure that out. That'd be really, really cool. Well, I think that's a wonderful note to end on. So I just want to thank you again um, for sharing all your stories with us and, and spending some time with us on the podcast. It's been fantastic to have you. Uh, thanks. It was uh, very enjoyable to, to be here. And we hope to see you again on the podcast in the near future. Yeah, that'll be great. Fantastic. Well, thanks again to my guest, Martin Stig Anderson, and thank you to everyone out there who's listening. Hope to see you again on the next episode.